Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. It's Friday night, and the culture wars are in full swing. But there's a plot twist. In the Republican-controlled state legislatures of South Carolina and Nebraska, restrictive abortion bills were voted down. Are Republican lawmakers having second thoughts about abortion bans? And then there's the battle over transgender rights. Montana's governor just signed a bill into law tonight banning gender-affirming care for minors, even though his own non-binary son urged him to reject it. And we have an update in the Bud Light transgender brouhaha coming up in a moment. I've been offline for a few weeks and a lot has been said about me, some of which is so far from my truth that I was like hearing my name and I didn't even know who they were talking about sometimes. Okay, plus, we're going to have never-before-seen photos from inside the White House Situation Room the day that Ben Laden was killed. But what do these photos have to do with late-night comedian James Corden? We'll explain in a moment. And if it's Friday night, that means it's News Quiz Night. Test your knowledge against our panelists. But we do begin tonight with this week's developments in the culture wars. You'll remember that Bud Light found itself in the middle of the battle because they decided to send a commemorative can of beer to transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. That prompted everything from beer boycotts to Kid Rock going literally ballistic. And Bud Light sales have fallen markedly since then. But that's just one of the stories tonight. There's also the battles over abortion with some states trying to pass near total bans. But this week, something surprising happened in Nebraska and South Carolina with three Republicans crossing party lines to block abortion bans. So there's lots to talk about with the panel tonight. Here with me to serve up his perspective, Patrick McEnroe, also political satirist and foreign policy expert. I love that combo. Hagar Shamali, Coleman Hughes, host of the Conversations with Coleman podcast and rabbi, Rolling Stone writer and former law clerk from Eric Garland, Jay Michelson, and joining us from afar, former special assistant to President George W. Bush, Scott Jennings. Great to have all of you here tonight. Okay, so let's start. um, I think we should start with the abortion um, stuff because that's surprising. That's that's where some surprises have been. So in the Republican-led legislatures of South Carolina um, and Nebraska, let's start in South Carolina. Three female Republican state senators voted down a bill that would have virtually banned abortion. Here's how they explained their decisions. There are millions of women who feel like they have not been heard. And that's why I'm standing up here this long. And I've never done this before. Once a woman became pregnant for any reason, she would now become property of the state of South Carolina. Abortion laws have always been, each and every one of them, about control. Hagar, are we surprised by this? I'm not surprised. I'm relieved. But the fact is that the majority of Americans we already know want safe access to abortion. And so I am relieved to see Republican leaders who aren't looking at this politically, who are taking a stand, who are making themselves heard. When I heard that quote about a woman becoming the property of the government, that's something you don't see in industrialized nations like the United States. And the fact is, by the way, Around the world, access to safe abortion is only becoming greater. But for us to walk this backwards, it's a travesty. But to answer your question as to whether I'm surprised, no, I'm, I'm just I'm relieved about it. And I think that it's high time that people listen to the majority of Americans who've made their voices heard. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, one of the things we've heard about this particular topic over the years is that the Republicans were playing the long game, right? That they were pulling out all the stops 
to overturn Roe, which which they were able to do, and then it's going to go back to the states. Well, now you're starting to see the ramifications of playing this long game and, and going really hardcore on some of these topics. And this is one of them, the trans issue, the, those other issues, the other cultural issues. Those are important. But this is this is a big one. As you know, as we're hearing from these women around the country, and apparently these five senators, especially um, in South Carolina, they've been discussing this for years. They've been knowing that this was going to come and they've been prepared for it. And obviously they made their voices heard loud and clear. Scott, um, as a conservative, how do you see this? Is the pendulum swinging back a little bit from the most um, severe restrictions on abortion? Well, Republicans aren't a monolith on this issue. You've got people who want more restrictive. You've got people who think it should be 15 weeks. You've got people who think it should be less restrictive. And you're seeing this play out in the state legislatures, the laboratories of democracy. And that was the intention of a lot of conservatives who wanted to overturn Roe versus Wade was to let individual states make these decisions. So I have no problem with these debates and I have no problem with these people uh, casting their votes because this was the point (laughs) of the movement to get rid of Roe in the first place. So, you know, I've I've thought since Roe came down, it was going to take a couple of years for the state laws to settle out. And that's obviously happening right before our very eyes. And obviously people have values, but they all they also have politics to to look at. And they're hearing from their constituents. And and I think ultimately that's that's going to lead to some uh, interesting shapes on laws out there. But but it's not going to be instant. I think it's going to take a few more months or years for these things to fully settle out, even in places you don't expect. Coleman, how do you see it? Yeah, well, I think when Roe v. Wade was overturned, a lot of people felt that this was going to be the instant end of abortion rights in roughly half the country. I think we're seeing right now that that turned out not to be true, that, as he said, there is more diversity of opinion than I think Democrats would caricature among Republicans. And ultimately, you know, our, our, our federalist system is that states often get to decide issues and the different states come to a different compromise positions and we're, we'll see how this shakes out, but uh, I think that is, in some way, the beauty of our, our system. Um, Jay, like Hagar, I was struck by what the, state, the Republican state senator, um, Katrina Shealy, said, because I just hadn't thought of that framing before, where she said, if a woman becomes, once a woman becomes pregnant, for any reason, she becomes property of the state of South Carolina. Well, that is, that is a, a useful framing. One of the ways that a lot of us kind of on the pro-choice side have talked about this issue is around forced pregnancy. That we just, in our society, we don't force people to have their bodies hooked up to some machine or something like that uh, for some period of months. And then why are we forcing some bodies to be, to, to be compelled to have this particular outcome? You know, I think in addition to the conservative argument that overturning Roe versus Wade would allow the laboratory of democracy, there was also a progressive argument that made the same point. I remember in law school, that in a way, having this kind of be decided by the Supreme Court allowed a lot of the sort of right edge of the Republican Party, the kind of sort of white Christian nationalist, Christian conservative edge of that party to get away with it and have these politics which are way to the right of where the center is in America. And I think we're seeing that play out now. Now that sort of the emperor has no clothes, you know, it's like, well, we'll just have some reasonable restrictions here and there. But in addition to these states that voted down the restrictions, we have a number of states that put them into place. And we have draconian laws in numerous states in the country. And I think, hopefully, my optimism, similarly, is that this will be heard at the polls, because this is not where reasonable Americans are on this issue. Yeah. Speaking of which, Scott, there was an interesting there's an interesting lawsuit um, from a woman in Texas who's suing the state of Texas because she um, had basically, you know, a complication at 18 weeks of pregnancy. It was going to be threatening her life. Um, And she 
and the life of her fetus. And doctors wouldn't actually operate on her until she developed sepsis and almost died. Um, We can play what she said today in Congress. I wanted to address my senators, Cruz and Cornyn, who I nearly died on their watch. And furthermore, as a result of what happened to me, I may have been robbed of the opportunity to have children in the future. And it's because of the policies that they support. That was on Tuesday, I should say. But, Scott, the point was that when there were some very restrictive bans put into place, people wondered how long it would be until it actually threatened women's health. And here's an example. Yeah, I think uh, politically, one thing that's really clear, uh, wherever you happen to be on uh, the spectrum in the Republican Party, most people, in my opinion, want there to be exceptions for the life of the mother, the health of the mother, but also rape and incest. And so whether you come down on uh, 15 weeks or six weeks or whatever, you know, wherever you come down on the timing on this, um, life of the mother, health of the mother, it's very important. And uh, my advice to legislators out there and policymakers is, don't forget about it uh, because it's it's vital. And I think I think constituents and people have spoken pretty clearly about that. And it's a you know pretty broad opinion that's held by a lot of folks in both parties. Let's move on to transgender rights because there's a lot happening this week in that as well. Um, in Montana, the governor there signed a bill um, banning gender affirming care for minors. Though his own son, who identifies as non-binary, had basically lobbied him not to do so, saying that it would. Um, hurt the health of young people in that state. Your thoughts? I just, I hate that this has become now this political game. This, these are, LGBTQ rights are human rights. Just as, by the way, abortion is, safe access to abortion is a human right. And it has become, especially as we run up to the next election, it's become this pawn and that, that a political pawn that is, it's in this chess game that we're playing that you're, go, that you're seeing being used to galvanize a base. And it's a shame because you're talking about have, hurting real lives that, and people who need access to medical care, need, who deserve equality, who deserve um, to, go to go to work and access medical care and, and be treated equally. And this is what gets me so angry about this issue overall, is that I see the GOP taking this so far to the right. Again, like abortion, not where the center is and the majority of the Americans are. And by the way, I do think that in the long run, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot with this, with both of them, with all these culture wars. I think that this is going to hurt them at the polls. And I think this is why President Biden is is harping on these issues for his future campaign. Scott, I see you furrowing your brow. Hold that thought for a second. Coleman, your thoughts? Look, I'm not sure a total ban. I don't know whether that's right. But we have to talk about the root cause of, of the problem. What are they reacting to? What, what would move them to pass such a policy? What are Republicans what, acting yes. uh, reacting what, to? Yeah. What's happening is that we have you know, over 100 uh, children pediatric clinics now in this country. It's ballooned over the past few years. And there's just a whistleblower that came out from uh, St. Louis Children's Hospital talking about the fact that you're, you're having kids going in there with gender dysphoria, often with other mental illnesses as well having maybe one or two meetings with a therapist and then being given hormones that have permanent effects in in many cases, right? Or or surgeries that have permanent effects. We're talking about you're not able to have a biological child, bone density loss, side effects I couldn't mention on, on, on TV because they're so gruesome. And we're saying, well, at the same time, kids, you know, you need parents' permission to get a tattoo, to buy a cigarette, all this stuff. But you're, you're, you should be the sole author of this kind of decision. 
That's what they're reacting to. So it's okay. already been politicized. The medicine has already been politicized. And I think people are overreacting on the other end. But we got to talk about the root cause. Okay, this ahead. is just, I, I hate to say this, but this is just not true. There may be a couple of edge cases out there, but for folks who are watching this, trying to get the facts, there's a great episode of the podcast, If Books Could Kill, that goes through this for an hour, and you can listen to it. It is excruciatingly difficult to get hormone therapy. You do need, in almost every state, you do need parental consent. You need to pass a battery of tests. It's very rare. And a lot of the issues are also around gender, uh, around surgery is even more difficult, and in most states you can't get it at all if you're under 18. This is, this is a, there, again, there may be some edge cases that, that were the root of this, but, I mean, I spent a lot of time with this issue. I was an LGBT activist professionally for 10 years. The, the, I have a lot of trans friends. The, this is my community. And I just hate that some of this misinformation is, is out there. It is actually excruciatingly difficult uh, to enter into these, these forms of therapy, as it should be, because exactly for everything, we totally agree, as for everything you said, this is, mm. this is, powerful, this is powerful intervention. Um, but the fact is that a few edge cases are being used to distort this issue and hurt real people. There I don't know if it no, is a few edge cases. I yep. hear you. I, I don't hear. I don't know if it is because there there are no studies that are tracking what are happening in in the hundred plus. Uh, sorry, that's gender. also not accurate. There are like, studies. Like, there are the, look, this woman studies, Jamie Reed. She worked at she worked at she worked at St. Louis Children's Hospital, and there was there was no accounting for the regret rate or anything like that there is, for years. There is comprehensive studies. There are comprehensive studies of regret rates for, the, for both hormones and for surgery. This data is out there. Look, this reminds me a lot of the activism that I did yep. practically a generation ago when we were doing same-sex marriage. There are myths which are grounded in not necessarily hostile ignorance, but just ignorance. We just don't really know. Yep. And I think, as, again, as a rabbi, as a member of the clergy, we are failing to have the moral conversation that we need to have that meets people where they are. You know, if there's some responsibility on the left, I think there is, where this became a sort of wokeification yeah. process, and you're a bad person if you don't have the right ideas. This is not how to enable people to come together. Yeah. We are failing to have the conversation we need to have about trans realities and not fantasies. I appreciate you guys having this conversation here. Um, Scott, I owe you one. We're out of time. Thank you very much, everybody, for your perspective. Stick around, because next we're going to show never-before-seen photos like this from behind the scenes in the White House the night that Ben Laden was killed. And we'll talk about what that moment has in common with comedian James Corden and what he said on his final show. James Corden leaves late night TV at the same time that never before seen photos from the Obama White House the night that Osama bin Laden was killed comes out. Coincidence? No, just kidding. Somehow it feels like those two things are connected. So let's begin with James Corden. He signed off his show for good last night and offered some poignant words about our divided country. I have watched America change a lot over these past few years. I've watched, I've watched divisions grow and, and I, I've seen and I felt a sense of negativity bubble and at points boil over and I guess all I really want to say tonight is I implore you to remember what America signifies to the rest of the world my entire life it has always been a place of optimism and joy and that cautionary note made us here at CNN tonight try to remember the last time the country felt truly united our memories were jogged by those photos released today of the night that bin Laden's capture almost 12 years ago. On that night, Americans came together 
in collective victory. When President Obama announced bin Laden's death as a result of a U.S. military raid by Navy SEALs. I'm back with Patrick McEnroe, Hagar Shamali, Coleman Hughes, and Jay Michelson. Can any of you think of a time since that? That was May 1st, 2011. <clears throat> Is there any time since then that we can, any of us can think of when we felt like a, a kind of a what? soaring feeling of being united? Well, I think COVID, we felt like we all came, mm. came together in sort of a different Alone. way. Alone. And, and by the way, <laughs> for like five minutes, for like, yeah, right. for like yeah. one week. Everything became <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I'm going to tie in a little bit because I didn't get to comment on that last very important topic. Can't we just let people be people? Okay, that's on the trans issue. But, on, but this is tied into this because what makes, has made America so special, and I've been lucky enough through my, most of my career to be able to travel all over the world and feel what other people say about our country. Of course, we have our flaws. Of course, we haven't always lived up to what it says in our Constitution. But we've tried. We've, we, we've tried to do that. We've tried to be that country, that beacon of hope. And I think what James Corden was saying there was, you know, be careful. Be careful. And I feel that now from the people that I know from all over the world that kind of look at us a little bit differently. And, and so I get worried about it. I see signs of positivity. I'm starting to see a few more of them recently, which is heartwarming, but we still got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. When, I, when you look at these photos that we've never seen before from inside the Situation Room and just inside the White House that night, they're really fascinating. I mean, it's just fascinating to have this insight into how things worked and the tension. Um, let's look at some from inside the Situation Room, because we all remember that photo of Hillary Clinton, you know, sort of with her hand over her mouth. But there are others. If we can keep going, guys, in the control room to look at some other photos of okay, so that's uh, obviously President Obama, and he's with Air Force Brigadier General Marshall Webb. Um, you know, this is where they're looking in real time at this drone footage of the surveillance and the raid actually happening at the Abbottabad compound and the helicopter crashing at one point, yes. which happened very early yes. on in the in the operation. And, I mean, there's there's these moments of silence and just kind of studying Leon Panetta. Obviously, it's just. You know, it's real. Like, it's just, you realize when you get the, look, here he has a, you know, Excedrin headache from whatever he's, has just happened. And I, I, I could look at this all night. I mean, I just find it so fascinating, Jay, to, to, to get this window into how it, we often see presidents and we see them at these ribbon cuttings or whatever. But this is real stuff. So I, I don't want to be the like negative Nancy on the this moment the, of everything. The, exactly. But of course, that's exactly who I, who I am. Yep. But, <laughs> you know, at the, even at this time, there were the rumblings of the Tea Party. There were people who are on the edge. I wouldn't even say in the mainstream of the Republican Party. There were mainstream figures, Newt Gingrich and others. But these were kind of the people who when, you know, when 2016 rolled around, uh, this is why the sort of conventional wisdom as well. Donald Trump will never actually get the nomination because there are all these reasonable Republicans and they're not going to let this this crazy wing of the party, this populist, nationalist, extremist wing of the party take over the party because there are plenty of reasonable conservatives. And then that actually happened. And so, yeah, I agree. You know, there, there, there was more unity, it seems, at that time. But those currents were already there. It's just what's amazing when you, when you just go from the short period from 2011 to 2016 is how a movement that was, you know, funded by billionaires, but at least in some way was a kind of populist mass movement, that sort of captured 
one of the two major parties, literally the grand old party in, in the United States, to the point where it's so difficult now. There's just not, it's not possible to find that kind of center ground when this extreme wing holds so much sway uh, over a major party. I'm going to hold your thought for a minute because you, as the na- our national security expert, just give us your thoughts as you look back at these. So I was actually at the White House. I wasn't part of this, um, ra- working on this raid. I was director for Syria and Lebanon at the time that they did this raid at the National Security Council. And I remember when it happened, we found out just before they made the public announcement. And it, we were all, we were all happened to be at a wedding of a colleague of ours. So all of us were together and we were so overjoyed and proud and relieved. And I, I know President Obama in his book apparently wrote that it, there was some regret to the fact that that's what united Americans. I don't agree with that. Um, love you, President Obama, but I don't agree with that because I think it's fine to have Americans unite against a common enemy that caused such harm and to show yeah. them what the U.S. military is capable of. Yeah. So I was, I love those photos. I'm not sure you didn't see me in there. You didn't see me. I was no, in the corner. I did not see you call, <laughs> calling closer. the shots, but I'm <laughs> sure you were. Guys, thank you. I'm sorry. We're rushed for time because CNN's presentation of HBO's Overtime with Bill Maher is right after this. And now let's turn it over to our friends at HBO every Friday after Real Time with Bill Maher. Bill and his guests answer viewer questions, and we're excited to bring you this lively discussion first every Friday night. So here is Overtime with Bill Maher. Okay, here we are on CNN, and this is our panel. He's co-host of the Fifth Column podcast, Michael Monahan. He's co-host of the YouTube show and podcast, Trigonometer, and the author of An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West, Constantine Kissin. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Elon has had to go and (laughs) save the world, and I think he will. Okay, here are the questions. Will Russia's bombing of Ukraine's capital city prompt a... Oh, yeah. I saw that on the news today. Horrible. Saw it on CNN. Starting light, are we? Yeah. yeah, Prompt a (laughs) counteroffensive supported by Western allies. Um, No, the counteroffensive is coming anyway. It's nothing to do with the bombing. Uh, The Ukrainians have been planning this for a long time. Uh, they've been waiting for what they call Rasputitsa in, in that part of the world, which is mud season, to be over, and also training up uh, their forces with Western weapons, tanks, etc. So the counteroffensive is coming. The actual, these bombings of, of the civilians, they're not, all they're doing is strengthening the resolve of the Ukrainians more than anything else, other than, of course, killing and maiming uh, innocent people. So uh, the counteroffensive is coming, but it's not because of that. How does this war end? Well, I've said from day one that I think the likely outcome is that Ukraine will make some territorial concessions, uh, which will be Crimea and parts of the Donbass. And likely that will be in exchange for what Ukraine actually needs, which is long-term security. And in my opinion, there's no other way of providing it other than either NATO membership or UN peacekeepers on the border. But I don't think that's going to happen. So most likely, Ukraine has a successful counteroffensive, pushes Russia as far away as it can, Uh, and then makes a settlement that means that what happened in 2014, remember we talked about it earlier, when Crimea and parts of the Donbass were first taken, that can never happen again because Ukraine is now part of NATO and is therefore under the umbrella of of that organization. But you you see Putin ever making concessions? Uh, I mean, we talk a lot in this country about how long Biden's going to last. I keep reading that he's sick, Putin. Is that yeah. just a rumor? Do you have relatives in Russia? I, I have relatives in both countries, but nobody really knows. I mean, I don't know if you know this. They take his poo in a bag and it's kept separate from it. No one can analyze it. So he's, he's, the information isn't getting out. Let's put it that way. 
How do you know that? So you're saying they take the Putin pool and put it in? They keep it separate. When he goes abroad, they, they, they keep yeah. a hold of it. Because, well, how could anybody get it? It goes down the toilet. Hey, maybe he, maybe he shits in a bag. Maybe that's what we're discovering right now. Okay. Okay. We're on we're CNN, finished. you can't say no. bad oh, words. Oh, you heard sorry. it here first. It's not live there, is it? Oh, no, but it's not edited either. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Okay, this is new. The CNN thing. I don't know. All right. Um, but on, on the Putin thing is the, the sickness we saw in those in those uh, files that were leaked by that like 11 year old kid in the National Guard in Massachusetts was the, the uh, intelligence uh, uh, and analysts say that he has cancer and his leg shakes all the time. And as far as concessions, I mean. The only way that most Ukrainians see this, and you know this from the, the polling of Ukrainians, they don't want to give up any territory. Of course. And the way that uh, this ends is Russia loses. And he does pull out. You see that what happened in, in Kiev. I mean, they tried at the very beginning of this war to encircle Kiev and cut off the head of the snake, what they thought, and they were, they were routed by an army that at that point didn't even have all the Western weapons that they have now. And these tank, columns of tanks coming but, in and being picked off. But plainly, and backed out, so. but plainly he could bomb. Kiev much more than he has. He, uh, that's what we were seeing on the news today. Well, you just know apartment this... building. It's just pointless. Yeah. Well, not pointless if you're a terrorist. because that's Militarily you... pointless, yeah. yeah. Militarily pointless, yeah. except for the long-range goal of winning the war and making people just say uncle. And that seems to it's be... It's terror what's... bombing. I mean, the, the, the entire point of yes. that... I mean, look, I, you know, criticize it if you will. I mean, it's what we did in Germany in 1943, 44, and 45, was to bomb and say we were going to break. Well, publicly said this, Bomber Harris said, we're going to break their spirit. And that's right. something that ended here now in 1945. The Russians are doing this today. But that isn't, that isn't what's happening on the ground. I remember on the first day of the war, I called up one of my friends in Kiev, and I said to him, listen, I've talked to some people, you need to get out. And he said to me, I still remember this conversation, he said, this is different to 2014. We are not, this is our country. We're not leaving. And what is happening in Ukraine now with these bombings, it's only strengthening their resolve. Well, they're brave people. They are incredible. All right, what does the panel think of a recent poll that puts Democratic presidential challenger RFK Jr.? Yes, if you hadn't yes. gotten the news, Robert right. Kennedy Jr., the son of Robert Kennedy, yeah. our former attorney general, uh, at 19%. I saw that today, too. Can yeah. he hope to... I must say, I'm surprised that right off the bat, he's polling at yes. 19%. Kennedy name helps, yeah. 19%. <laughs> Kennedy name other, helps. But another, another poll had him at 17%. So they seem to be in line in that, you know, Marianne Williamson is at 9%. So you have a chunk of people, and when you we talked about this in the main show, 70% of, of, of Americans don't want Joe Biden to run again, 50% of Democrats. There are people looking for alternatives, and I really wish it wasn't Robert Kennedy, but the DNC right now is, you know, lining up the troops and going to prevent him from doing any damage. They're not going to have debates. There's not going to be no primary debates. He's just going to be pushed aside. If he's running as a Democrat, if he decides to then run as a third-party candidate, you have a Perot situation. And why don't you like him? Why don't... Who, I, I mean, like, you said you wish it wasn't him. Why? Yeah, I wish it wasn't him for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, Kennedy said something in 2013 that, uh, you know, frequent guest on the show, Matt Welsh, just, just tweeted about, was, you know, he thinks that, you know, climate deniers should be put in jail. There should be regulations against people denying climate change. His past is checkered with this stuff. It's not just the VAC stuff. I don't get into those issues. I don't know a ton about it. That's not my area of expertise at all. You know, he said too many nice things about Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, as his brother Joe has too. It's just a very weird, and he's becoming more conspiratorial too. 
the sort of they are censoring me all the time. I just don't. You're a Kennedy. Your last book sold two million copies. No one's censoring you. So I don't like that kind of instinct. It's not my. It's not my kind of right. But person. they. But they. But they won't treat what he is saying about COVID. With, no, of course not. No. With what? Right, but yeah. they should. Yes. I mean, they, I, I, like yes, like many people who've written yeah. about COVID, including the U.S. government, yeah. they got a lot wrong. <laughs> he might be getting stuff wrong. Sure. But he's not a nut. Yeah, I mean, the, the, he's the, not a nut, and he's not a nut about COVID either or vaccines. Well. He, it, but the thing about this is that, you know, it's hard to tell these days. It's hard to tell like, because you could get kicked off of Facebook, of YouTube, of all this stuff for saying that this came from a lab in Wuhan. Not from a wet market in Wuhan, but the lab right. that did bad viruses <laughs> that was down the street. That got people, like lots of people, not just like a one errant person that was kicked off once. No, this was very, very common. That was all of these things that you couldn't say then, which are now conventional and, wisdom. And, and what we know about medicine is always changing yes. on a day-to-day basis. I mean, yes. just last year, they got metabolism wrong. Mm. They came out with this big report that said we'd always thought it was slow down in age, and it doesn't slow yeah. in age. That's kind of a basic part yes. of our health. And, that, and you can read stories like that almost year to year. They also got depression wrong. They said, oh, it wasn't the serotonin. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not saying it's corrupt, although there is <laughs> quite a bit of that, too. <laughs> Somehow, when, the, when it's the Sackler family with the opioids, it's like, oh, see, corporations yeah. and pharmaceutical yeah. companies. But when it's COVID, oh, no, they must have everything on the up and up. Okay, but uh, say it's not mostly that. They were trying, and they did a great thing. They came up with a vaccine, which many people, most people needed, yes. and saved millions of lives. That's true, too. Robert Kennedy may not agree with that. But, I think that's true. But, but your point is entirely correct, Bill, which is I think a lot of people have forgotten how we got to be successful in the West. And part of that is freedom of speech and freedom of research. Right? Especially in science. In science. Especially right? in medicine. We need people to yes. be able to talk about the facts. And when you have some kid who works for Twitter in the Philippines censoring a Nobel Prize winning scientist in his speaking about his area of expertise, I think we've lost the plot. Right. Yeah. I mean, one, one final point on this is the number of people that were wearing T-shirts that said, I believe in science. Science became this thing that was the conventional wisdom coming from the government, from the CDC. Yeah. I believe in that. That's what they're talking about. You cannot believe in science. Science is a process. Right. Science exactly. is always changing. Right. When people thought I could believe in science, they thought it never moved, and they were surprised when it right. did. And that's the thing. The left, the far paranoid COVID left, talks about science like it's religion. <laughs> the science. Yes. While they're doing things like wearing masks alone outside. Yes. The science. (laughs) What does the panel think of Steven Spielberg saying he regretted replacing guns with walkie-talkies in in E.T.? Yeah. He he re-edited E.T., and now he's regretting that, and I'm so glad he is. He's saying movies were made of a certain time. They're all going to look weird in the future in some way. Leave them as they are. I think it's terrific. Yeah. I mean, the really scary thing is that classic books, and I think this is what precipitated his comment on this, was Roald Dahl, who was a psycho and an anti-Semite, but a good good children's book author. And he has some pretty (laughs) negative portrayals of people. It's not the Jews. He doesn't talk about the kids' book. And they changed the most banal thing. Fat. You literally... You can't say fat. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what did they change it to? It was like nicely shapely. I don't know. It was, but it was uh, body positive it like body is what they probably changed it to. <laughs> yeah, they, right. this kind of thing is insane. But they're actually changing books, and that is literally Orwellian, not the, the right. abuse of the word Orwellian. We got to make way for commercials. We're here on CNN. Thank you again. We'll see you next week. And you can watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights on HBO at 10 p.m. and then watch Overtime right here on CNN Friday nights at 11.30 as you just did. All right, next, our Friday night news quiz. Get your paddles ready. ready. It's Friday night, which means it's news quiz night. Let's see what you and our panelists know about this week's news stories. Okay, guys, you have your paddles ready? Ready. Okay, when I say on three, you'll turn them around. Okay, here's our first question. By paying $60 a month, your new Mercedes EV can A, go faster, B, drive itself, or C, warm your seats. In one, two, three. It's A. Yes. But drive itself would have made sense. I have to say guess. It's A. Okay. So, uh, okay. You guys did very well. You better warm the seats already. Yeah. No, 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 I mean, not. So faster. So faster. I know. That should be included. That should be included. Okay. Next question. Global warming is having an effect on A, the price of airline tickets, B, MLB home runs, or C, the effectiveness of penicillin. One, two, three. Oh my gosh, you guys! It's it's B MLB home runs. Oh come on! How did you know that, Paul? I read the article. Wow! Oh. Yeah, that's good. And I You're also knew by knowing the news in I Denver. Like I know like the high altitude also affects the. That's right. I'm a bit of a baseball fan. Uh, that's. Well, you're, the high altitude, but this is new. Okay, okay. I'm still paying yeah. attention. I need my, like, Biden cheat code. Right, I would think you that know? you and that because two. don't, I, tennis balls I, go I, faster in certain yes, weather? Yes, absolutely. I have this terrible oh. job out of me. Okay, very good. Terrible. Uh, moving on. They didn't on. have cli- you know, climate change back in the day. Yeah, they didn't. So, yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, what famous couple went to the state dinner this week? Was it Chip and Joanna Gaines, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker? Hmm. In one... Two, three. That's a great guess, but you're all wrong. Uh, but we all said it was wrong. Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, of course, you that. all thought it was Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. I would have thought that too if I didn't have the answers right here. Okay. Uh, before signing to the New York Jets, I think this is a sports okay, question. I'm feeling good. Before about this signing one. to the New York Jets, football star Aaron Rodgers spent his last days a at a spiritual healing center in Costa Rica, b at Coachella. C at Disneyland. In one, two, three. You're all right, Egg, at the spiritual healing. I thought that because we'd talked about the darkness retreat, that that was going to throw you guys yeah, off and you were going to think it was Coachella, yeah. but no. Actually, I was going to do Coachella, but I got stuck, so I just quit. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's yeah, great. Great. I like that. Okay, next. Um, Two students in Michigan are suing their school districts after being banned for wearing sweatshirts with which slogan? A, make America great again, B, let's go Brandon, or C, guns are good. In one, two, three. It's B, 
Let's go. I was like, please be seen. Oh, okay. Do I get one more, guys? Profanity if it's not. We have to go now? I think Aristotle dealt with it. Guys, okay, that was fantastic. Who won? In the control room. I think Coleman. I won. Did I win? How many questions were there? I don't know. I got two wrong. Okay, one, two, three, four. Coleman won. I think I got it, right? Well done. Well done. Good job. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Russia's invasion of Ukraine triggered a flood of refugees. Many of them were pet owners who had to leave their dogs and cats behind for what they hoped would only be days. For two veterinarians who specialized in exotic animal rescue, the situation led them to a new mission, caring for these beloved but abandoned pets. Anderson Cooper shares this week's CNN Heroes. A lot of people think that all this situation in Ukraine will be three, four days. So a lot of people just close animals in apartments, in houses, and think that everything will be fine. For more than a year now, the Stoyanovs have been rescuing and caring for dogs and cats by the hundreds in Ukraine. Despite the danger, they put their lives at risk, even driving to the front lines to vaccinate and feed animals. Russian army, a lot of times, shooting uh, our car, and uh, we have a lot of uh, holes. Each animal for us, it's like our family. The vet crew's work earned them support for millions on social media. They say it's all those encouraging messages that keep them going. A lot of people write us, guys, hold on, you are heroes. It's huge, huge support, and we are very grateful. To get the full story, go to CNNHeroes.com. And a quick programming note, as the United Kingdom prepares to crown King Charles III, what does this moment mean for the modern world? The whole story with Anderson Cooper, Sunday at 8 p.m. on CNN. Thanks for spending this Friday night with us. Our coverage continues now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.